All right, taste buds, you know what time it is. It's March, that means bracket time. Speaking of bracket time, next week's House of Carbs, we have the Chief Craig Gaines coming back on and special guest, Mark Titus. We're going to talk about March Madness eating arrangements, but let's talk about Yahoo. There's no wrong way to pick teams with Yahoo Sports Tourney. Pick them all through the Yahoo Fantasy app. Join a public group, create a group, or join Draymond Green's group. I would join Draymond Green's group for a shot at $25,000. Don't miss out on March Madness. Get your bracket in before the games tip off on March the 15th. Build your bracket now at yahoo.com slash tourney2018. That's yahoo.com slash t-o-u-r-n-e-y 2018 tourney2018. Do it! Today's House of Carbs also brought to you by our very good friends at Mac Weldon. Whatever undergarments you may be wearing right now, my hungry homies, let me tell you, Mac Weldon is better. It is a men's essentials brand, sorry ladies, that believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. I, my own self, have had an extraordinarily easy excursion on the Mack Weldon website. I like that uh, they, they have a, a variety of different styles, techniques, flavors, and they're in particular, I find alluring, their line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which, important to me, means that they eliminate odor. They want you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair, keep them. They will still refund you, no questions asked. My friends, get yourselves over to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using promo code CARBS. That's MacWeldon.com, 20% off. Just enter promo code C-A-R-B-S. My hungry homies, my taste buds, my culinary comrades, you know we are back. It is time for another edition of House of Carbs, the food podcast for the hungry people by the hungry people. I am your hungry host, Joe House. My hungry homies, very pleased with today's show. Our first guest today, international correspondent for the New York Times, Andrew K. The Olympics are over, but the Korean food shall live on. And Andrew is going to tell us about a number of delicacies that he experienced and enjoyed that we're going to go try and find here in these United States. Jam-packed show today. Also joining us from Memphis, Tennessee, Chris Vernon, the Ringer's own, Grind City Media's own, Memphis's own. We're talking about Gus's world-famous fried chicken. I had to have... A spiritual leader for such an adventure. Chris Vernon is that leader. And of course, this week we have the food news with Juliet. Wait till you hear about this cake Juliet ate two weeks ago. But right now, let's dig in with our hungry homie, Andrew Kay. All right, my hungry homies. I am very, very excited for the guests we have for you today. This is by far the furthest, the most remote connection we have ever had here on House of Carbs. Our guest today coming to us live from Vietnam, 
We have with, uh, joining us today Andrew Kay, who is an international correspondent for the New York Times covering sports from Berlin, Germany. Uh, he has previously covered Major League Baseball in the NBA. Um, he just completed covering the Winter Olympics in South Korea, which is exactly why we had to have him on the show. Andrew Kay, welcome to House of Carbs. <laughs> Thanks very much for having me. So, uh, Andrew, we, we had to have you because you wrote this story um, during the Olympics, the, the, the title of which is An Olympic Challenge, Eat All the Korean Food That Visitors Won't. And I have this, this thesis that 2018 is going to be the year of, of Korean food because we have been here, at least in the United States, seeing um, kind of the rise of what I'm going to characterize uh, probably awkwardly um, as kind of, you know, uh, variations of Asian cuisine that, that the United States hasn't experienced. So last year, the last 18 months, we've experienced Filipino food in a way we haven't experienced it before. I thought this year we would um, be experiencing Joe. You know, Korean food that's sort of outside the normal U.S. bubble, which is, you know, um, Korean barbecue and, you know, uh, bulgogi. And I'm going to mispronounce the the, um, the egg dish. Bibimbap. Is that how you say it? <laughs> uh, you, you'd say uh, bibimbap. Bibimbap. Yeah, I think okay. you're right there. <laughs> that may be as good as you're going to get. That, that's really good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so we the U.S. palate has been introduced to those flavors, but there's a whole side of Korean food that we have not experienced, and I anticipated these Winter Olympics would be a, an entryway, uh, not, not, I'm not going to call it an entryway drug, but it is kind of in that vein, um, and your article really captured many aspects of Korean food that are outside of what the U.S. palate has seen. So I'm very excited to have you on here. In the first place, you were sent to the Olympics to cover sports. How did you end up on this food tour? Um, it's it's funny because it was just something that I was sort of doing anyway um, with no intention to write about it at all. Um, it's kind of, you know, I'm rarely lucky enough to go on assignment uh, to a place and uh, eat Korean food of this caliber. Uh, when I was covering the NBA, for instance, like I would go from town to town, uh, you know, Oklahoma City, uh, San Antonio, and look for Korean food there. It's always been something um, that I've sought out. It's my main comfort food. So, you know, I was in Korea, so I was just going to be eating it anyway. Uh, my editors sort of had the idea that maybe there was something uh, that we could do about food. It was a very vague assignment. Um, they were just like, is there something in the world of Korean food that you want to write about out here? And so we sort of retroactively went back and sort of went through the meals I had already eaten. The pictures in the uh, in the article, I mean, those weren't photos that I took for the article. Those were just already on my camera roll. Um, oh my so, God, incredible. Yeah, so it, it just sort of came about that way. It was sort of a natural thing. Um, and once we started having that conversation about what we could write, then um, I started to sort of synthesize some of the conversations I had had, some of the things I had been hearing um, and seeing from restaurant owners and cab drivers. I mean, people that I was just sort of talking to anyway. Um, and so it sort of came about that way. 
So um, the one thing I want to um, discuss right out of the box that I think is uh, unique to your experience and very different from how uh, we in the States get to experience Korean food. I had no idea. It makes sense, obviously, because South Korea is surrounded on many sides by water. But I had no idea of the the diversity of um, seafood options. Can you describe for folks a um, couple of the things that you encountered? Sure. I mean, um, that area in particular is known um, within Korea as being sort of you know, the getaway spot uh, for seafood. Um, it's not obviously an internationally known uh, vacation destination, but a lot of Koreans do go to that coastal area. It's called Gangneung to eat seafood. Um, and, you know, depending on what season it is, they'll have different things. Um, we happen to be lucky enough to be in, uh, it was blowfish season when we were out there. I think it still is. Um, and uh, it was, extremely inexpensive compared to what you might get in Seoul or Tokyo or another major metropolitan area. So um, on a few different occasions, probably the best meal I had was at um, a place called Chumunjin Fish Market. Um, and uh, we just had this incredibly fresh uh, blowfish, you know, which we essentially picked out of a tank, watched um, an old woman kind of sliced up um, on a on a wood cutting board um, and we were sitting there she kind of brought it out uh, artfully arranged on a plate so th there are a lot of meals um, kind of just like that uh, and yeah I mean I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand the extent to which you know raw fish plays a part in Korean cuisine especially in these coastal areas a lot of people are um, familiar with uh, sashimi and Japanese cuisine but um, there really are kind of very different things, not only um, in how the food itself is prepared. I mean, in Japanese food, it's sort of very subtle, artful, delicate. Um, in Korean, it's much more chaotic. You have a lot of dipping sauces. You're wrapping the fish in different things. Um, you're like slamming a piece of raw garlic on it, um, a hot chili pepper on it. It's, it's a much different experience. I think that, and then the most important thing is that um, it's just so fresh. When you think about Japanese sashimi, there's actually I think a period of days that goes bef that goes by from when the fish is caught and killed to when it's actually served. And over that period of time, the uh, various enzymes I think work on and sort of soften the meat and tenderize it. Um, Korean raw fish is served. I mean, sometimes seconds after it's killed. And it has oh, sort we of saw, a different we, texture and tension to it. Yeah, we saw the octopus. So that was clearly, yeah. uh, you know, served a, a short while. And we'll, we'll put up a link. We'll make sure all our yeah. culinary comrades out there can see the picture because it's really um, compelling. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's really interesting. Well, um, so, yeah, I should clarify about the octopus, too, that, you know, that, that, that is a fairly common thing in Korea, but at the same time, I mean, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. There are plenty of Koreans um, that are kind of unnerved <laughs> by this sight of uh, still moving tentacles on their plate. So it's, it's uh, I think even within Korea, there's, there's still some kind of, uh, some people are a little bit hesitant to have that um, for good reason, I guess. So is it is it because of the commitment to um, serving it nearly, um, you know, minutes from when the seafoods come out of the water? Is that kind of a reason why 
we haven't seen a big replication of it here in the States or, or do I have it wrong? Are there Korean restaurants here in the States that do, um, purport, you know, attempt to replicate it, but they're, they're located in, you know, in, in places next to the water. That's, I mean, that's actually a good theory. I haven't given that any thought and I'm sure there actually is some solid reason for it. Um, the, at these restaurants, you'll see, you know, you need, I mean, you need tanks, um, you need fish tanks to sort of keep these fish. Um, and so that may have something to do with it. But, uh, you know, if you, if you're in, um, in New York, if you're on the East coast, um, in Flushing, in New Jersey, um, you'll see places that are sort of specifically committed to serving Korean raw fish. Um, I will also say I rarely ever see any non-Koreans in these restaurants. Um, and the same goes for LA. Um, just spent less time in, but I know that they have these restaurants as well. Um, I don't know the extent to which non-Koreans are venturing into them, but um, they exist in the States. It's just, I think it, it's sort of like a lot of other things in Korean cuisine sort of remains a little bit inscrutable. Um, and people don't necessarily have the reference point to just jump right in. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of different theories, but um, I'm not totally sure the answer. Yeah, I, I have seen, uh, and we have, as a as a friend of the program, um, our our mutual pal, David Chang, and he has been, you know, a a, a real uh, emissary for Koreatown in L.A. And so, at least his his Instagram, in terms of taking you on uh, a, a U.S. based journey of Korean food. Um, and it's mainly been things like that I'm going to mispronounce, like the oxbone soup. Uh, so I'm not going to try uh -huh. and pronounce that. The budajuge <laughs> is that? Uh, did I get that right? Am I in the in the zone for that one? Oh, oh, budajuge. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sorry. Yeah, budajuge. Um, yeah, that was very um, close. <laughs> thank you. Uh, so he he has been trying to to sort of export, but I do think you know, uh, at least in terms of the profile of Korean food. I, I had, um, expectations that these Olympics were going to, you know, do some of that, um, that, that cultural legwork. I know my own curiosity, um, is, is raised. One of the things that, that you mentioned in your story that I'm wondering if I can get a version of here in the States is the Pollock. You mentioned driving and seeing dried Pollock, um, you know, yeah. out, out in, in the open air. Can you describe that? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, the the Olympics and the Winter Olympics in particular, it's, you know, you spend just uh, hours uh, of total time on buses, these like huge coach buses that are just packed with journalists. Um, and that's just day after day after day. Um, the way the Winter Olympics work is there's, you know, two areas, one place where they do sort of all the ice and skating events, one where they do um, the, you know, snow, alpine events, things like that. So to get between the two, you're just riding an hour-long coach bus. Um, and in the mountain region there um, of Korea, um, you know, you have these intense winds and it's super cold. And so the way that they sort of um, dry these fish is by hanging them on these huge racks and just putting them on these sort of roadside open expanse fields. Um, so you know, as I would just be riding to whatever event I was covering, if you, you know, if you take the time to look out the window, you would see just fields of fish uh, of this pollock um, sort of hanging out to dry. And I think they, they freeze it out there, they bring it back, 
I warm it up, they freeze it again. And through that process, you know, I'm not entirely sure what is happening there, but it creates this sort of, um, yeah, dried uh, Pollock thing that ends up in a lot of different um, dishes in Korea, whether it's in soups or sometimes they'll make um, side dishes out of it with, you know, any variety of chili peppers and things like that. Oh, wow. In- incredible. Yeah. All right, Hungry Homies, quick word from our pals at Zip Recruiter. Are you hiring out there? Posting your position to job sites and waiting and waiting and waiting for the right people to see them, that is no way to do it. Zip Recruiter knew this, which is why they created a smarter way. They built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you are looking for. They identify the people with the right experience and then invite them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there, my culinary comrades. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, listeners of House of Carbs can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, F-R-E-E. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash carbs. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash C-A-R-B-S. ZipRecruiter.com slash carbs. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Um, how did you, uh, what was your experience? You just kind of described the on the ground logistics challenges of covering an event like yeah. the, the Olympics and kind of, you know, exploring the food scene in terms of you, you describe in the story that you didn't see a lot of um, international sort of visitors out exploring uh, on the ground. But what about your sort of fellow journalists? Did you find yourself doing any of that legwork? Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't see a ton of international visitors um, out at the restaurant. Um, and, you know, that's not just me. A lot of the restaurant owners and kind of locals were sort of saying the same thing. As far as journalists go, yeah, I think it was pretty much the same thing. The Olympics, um, it's sort of all the stuff you don't see on TV is that it sort of it creates this weird kind of bubble that's divorced from, you know, time and reality. And and, and you're there's this vast internal network of, you know, facilities and buses that take you through them. And then, you know, there there are sort of fake restaurants that pop up outside these venues. You know, they looked a lot of them looked like they were, you know, a month old. Um, so people, you know, rightfully so, being sort of as busy as they are, I think, have some trouble um, getting out of that bubble. So as far as journalists go, yeah, it's um, I didn't see a ton of people venturing out. I will say about halfway through, I think people sort of start to get stir crazy a little bit that, you know, it just feels like you're on a cruise ship for like two weeks and you're just trying to get off. Um, and I did hear from more and more people, um, a lot of my colleagues sort of asking for help, you know, sort of saying, where can we go to check this out? Um, after the story came out, I heard from not only, you know, New York times colleagues, but people from all different outlets at that point were just emailing me saying, you know, where can I get that snow crab? Where can I get this or that? So, um, 
at, at first, I think there was a little bit of reluctance, but I think, you know, as time went on, people were definitely trying to get out there and see some, uh, uh, um, sample some of the Korean food out there. Yeah. So I, I'm, from my perspective, the rest of the world's loss in terms of, um, exploring this, I'm hoping is, is the United States gain because I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, some of these non, uh, uh, traditional, sort of off the yeah. beaten path Korean elements show up in our cuisines or at least inspire people to go try. I know I'm going to try. You just mentioned the number one thing at the very top of my list, and I don't know whether or not it's logistically feasible, but that is the snow crab. So <laughs> I, I know we're not going to get red snow crab um, from the Chesapeake Bay here I'm in Washington, D.C., but... Um, I'm 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 wanting to know whether or not it can be exported. H- have you ever had snow crab here in the United States? Yeah, I, I I think I have. I don't know if it's or I'm pretty sure it wasn't the the red snow crab, you know, um plucked out of the East Sea. Um it's something you can get there. I mean, um I think a lot of the appeal of eating it in Korea is just the way um, that is presented to you and, and the way you sort of consume it at the table. And, and I think, you know, I think it, it's a sort of a double-edged sword because I think that is what makes it sometimes um, tough for people to kind of crack Korean cuisine too. But, you know, when you get it out there, it's just, uh, you know, there's 20 different plates on your table and you know you're taking the crab guts and you're mixing it with rice and sesame oil and sesame seeds and you're doing this and that with other things and then there's you know also raw fish over there in that in Gangneung which is one of the cities where the Olympics were there was uh, you know there's this beachside and it's just restaurant after restaurant after restaurant with just tanks of snow crab um, and uh, I mean I was lucky enough to go out there um, a couple of times and yeah I mean it's just it's just a great experience to sort of get immersed in that um, it's not cheap which um, is I guess um, kind of an obstacle but um, I think relative to other cities that's that Gangneung has done a good job of keeping the prices low. And that, that's something that um, David had mentioned when we were talking as well, that he was surprised that they were able to keep the prices so low. So the version that you've had here, is it um, prepared the same way, which is in kind of a bubbling broth and you take the parts out uh, and cut them up and eat them that way? That So that one, I had never had that preparation before, which is interesting. Oh. Um, and that... Um, in I mean, there's this in Korea. There's this like sort of whole like subsection of cuisine that's just sort of devoted to curing hangovers. Um, it's actually become yes. kind of a big industry in itself now. There's if you go to any convenience store, there's uh, you know bottle after bottle after bottle of you know some mystery mix that claims to cure hangovers, and and Koreans consume a lot of that stuff. Um, Hangovers, I think, in Korea are just sort of like an ever-present danger. People are always drinking so much soju, and it's a very kind of collectively drinking society. Um, but kind of the old-school way to, to cure the hangover was always any variety of soups and stews. So there's a whole sort of section of Korean food um, that just it literally just is called, you know, hangover soup. So this restaurant, um, which is a place that uh, one of our photographers and I would see kind of on the road on the way to one of the venues a lot, was the exact uh, translation of the restaurant's name was 100-Year Hangover Soup. And it was it was kind of a combination. They took this a well-known um, Korean stew and they put the snow crab just directly into it. Um, 
just literally the the biggest sort of vat I've ever seen placed on a table before. And um, yeah, the two of us just sat there and sort of picked the crabs out, and and it was totally new for us as well. It was a, it was like a complete mess. There was broth flying everywhere, um, but yeah, it was just you know as much as as much Korean food as I've eaten over the years, you know, uh, even, you know, we're still having stuff that we haven't had before. So that was definitely super fun, um, uh, a super fun experience. We need to figure out a way. Maybe David Chang is the right, uh, um, you know, uh, exporter for this. We have to try and get a version of that over here because I'm dying. You're killing me. I'm sitting here. It's uh, 8 p.m. my time uh, here on the East Coast, and I, I haven't had dinner. And what you just described um, sounds like like an absolute marvel. I, I, I have to try it. Um, so one, one other thing that I wanted to make sure that we touched base on, um, our mutual pal, Jason Gay, uh, from the Wall Street Journal, um, who, who, God bless him, connected us for this chat today, um, he described a diet that basically consisted of Korean chicken, uh, Korean fried chicken and, and, and beer, which is, has its, has its appeal. I have to be honest. Um, did you yeah. do any Korean fried, fried chicken during your, your, your two weeks stay? I, I did. I mean, I did once or twice, um, which it, it in some ways has become kind of like one of the national foods. Well, I should say, Fried chicken and beer in tandem is like a national thing now. Um, but I was surprised at sort of the the endurance of uh, or the persistence of a lot of the other journalists there who um, would just show up at this fried chicken place night after night after night that was right outside um, the, the the media accommodations. I think, I mean, I, I think the flip side of that is maybe, you know, it was sort of this safe haven for a lot of people. Um, fried chicken and beer is totally relatable and totally delicious kind of wherever you are. Um, so I think a lot of people leaned heavily on that. I had it once or twice and obviously it is delicious. That makes perfect sense. So look, I'm going <laughs> to let you go. You're on vacation, but before I let you go, can we do a real quick, you have, you're on this incredible trip. You've deserved, you deserve this vacation after working your ass off for two weeks, exporting the Olympics the way you did, but you're on, I, the itinerary is unbelievable. And I know you're going to be having some incredible meals. Can, can we, just talk quickly about you're in Vietnam right this second. Let's let's hear a little bit about what your food tour might look like over the course of your vacation. <laughs> Please, um, I left. Uh, sure, after after the Olympics, I, I spent about uh, I spent a few days in Seoul um, and um, ate really aggressively. Um, probably the best thing I had was this. Uh, Korean barbecue place that sort of dry ages um, all their steaks, um, which is kind of a new thing in the United States, but they've been doing it in Korea for a while, and they they just bring out these 45-day um, age steaks and a blowtorch, and they're just torching it at your table, um, and it was extravagant and delicious. Um, I went to oh. Taiwan for a few days, um, um, went to the night markets, um, and uh, just gorged myself on sort of stand after stand of food. Probably the best thing I had there was um, maybe the most quintessential night market food, I think. Um, it's the oyster omelet, which is kind of different from an American omelet. It's really starchy and chewy, but, you know, if you throw the fresh oysters in there, it's just like sort of an amazing thing to have with a cold beer. Um, oh. uh, I'm in Vietnam now. Uh, I... 
the first meal I had, I think, has been the most memorable so far. I'm going to mispronounce it, but I think it, it was chaka. It's it was this uh, catfish with um, with a bunch of dill on it, which I had not really had in Vietnamese food. Dill and spring onion. Um, I think it was seasoned with turmeric, and um, they just it was at a place, a pretty famous place, that they just grill it. Um, you grill it yourself. You and your dining companions grill it yourself at your table, um, and uh, you have it with those the thin white um, boon noodles. Um, throw a bunch of peanuts and fresh mint on top. That was delicious as well. And uh, yeah, my next two stops, um, our next two stops are Thailand and uh, Singapore before heading back to Berlin. So I'm going to try to make the most of uh, those two cities, I guess. Whoa, Andrew, two unbelievable eating destinations. We just, I think we're talking about trying to get you to be our international correspondent. <laughs> Let's nail that down right now. You've got to be the House of Carbs international correspondent. <laughs> Happy eating, safe travels, enjoy your well-earned vacation. Come on again soon. I'm going to call you up where, wherever you may be in the middle of Europe, and I need to hear what you're eating at that moment. <laughs> Andrew Kay, thank you so much for coming on The House of Carbs. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. It was a lot of fun. All right. Tremendous thanks to our international correspondent, Andrew Kay. We have special guest Chris Vernon coming on to talk fried chicken with us. But before we get to that fried chicken, let's have a quick word from our friends at Lisa. Lisa's driven by the mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody. Lisa is an innovative, direct-to-consumer online mattress brand that's also socially conscious. In fact, for every 10 mattresses Lisa sells, they donate one to a shelter through their 110 program. They also plant a tree for every mattress sold. They donate 1% of each employee's time to volunteer for local causes. Now let's talk about the mattress. With a patented, universal, adaptive feel, Lisa is designed for all types of sleepers and features three premium foam layers, including the two-inch patented Avena foam top layer for cooling and breathability, the two-inch memory foam middle layer for body contouring and pressure relief. Very good for my hips, especially after around the golf. And six inch dense core support foam for durability and structure, which works for sleepers of all sizes, including giant belly sizes like mine. And now Lisa is continuing to expand its offerings to include the Lisa pillow, the Lisa blanket, the Lisa foundation, the Lisa frame. No wonder it is a Forbes Top 20 startup to watch. Try a Lisa mattress in your own home, my culinary comrades, for 100 nights. That's risk-free. 100 nights. That's a, that's a third of a year nearly. Available in the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Germany online with free shipping. This 100% American-made mattress ships compressed in a box right to your front door. If you want to try one out ahead of time, get yourself to the Lisa Dream Gallery in Soho, New York City, or get to, your, to the Lisa Dream Gallery in Virginia Beach, Virginia, or 
get yourself to one of over 80 West Elm stores nationwide. Get $100 off. That is a lot of money off on this mattress because these mattresses are very reasonably priced, only in a few hundred dollar range. Get $100 off when you go to leesa.com slash carbs. Get yourself to leesa.com slash carbs today for 100 bucks off. Go do it. All right, my taste buds, very special guest coming on House of Carbs right now. He is the multimedia mayor of Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> you can catch him daily. He's got a show available online and in podcast form, grizzlies.com slash Chris Vernon show. He's also the co-host of the Ringer's very own NBA show. Verno, what's happening, <laughs> my man? House, it is so good to talk to you. I am so honored to be on House of Carbs. I can't believe this is the first time we've podcasted together. I mean, I can't believe that you have not gotten to Memphis to eat. Oh my dude, my dude! I I haven't set foot in Memphis in my in my whole entire life. What? Uh, I know we've got we've got that's that's a that's a, a crime that that needs uh, to be remedied, right? Oh, try to listen. Come up with. Trust me, considering we have uh, we were the victim of a heinous food crime over the weekend. I don't know if you saw what took over social media, but when oh, Vi- I did. the why is Brooklyn barbecue taking over the world with this uh, ridiculous picture that took over Twitter and all manner of social media platforms? That was, uh, you know, here in uh, here in Memphis, we took that as a real personal affront. Brooklyn with barbecue. good reason. It was an, it's an absolute outrage. Now, I have to tell you, I thought it was funny. It, it made me laugh. They put a picture of, of a platter on there with like three pieces of meat and two pickles on it. I mean, you know, it, it was, I, I got a good chuckle out of it. But boy, oh boy, did it, did it send the, uh, the barbecue Illuminati hot, right? I mean, it, well, it listen, engendered a little it, bit of a reaction. Because you're going to super offend Memphis, Texas, Kansas City and Carolina. That's at a minimum. Yes. At a minimum, at a minimum you're going right, to. Right. What? Brooklyn. Come on. Brooklyn. Bar- <laughs> Brooklyn barbecue. Uh, don't ever talk to me. Don't speak, Brooklyn. Don't speak. <laughs> All right. Well, look, we have in front of us today, Verno. I had to have you on uh, because this is, you know, uh, we have a very sacred topic to tackle. Now, I was raised in a, in a certain faith, a certain tradition that encouraged respect for other religions. And my, uh, you know, my upbringing included basically this idea that if I'm going to walk into another man's church or another woman's church, look, we're, we're egalitarian here at House of Carbs. If I'm going to walk into another person's faith, I, w- I want um, to be led in there, but by a deacon. I mean, I, you know, I, I want somebody, I want a person of the cloth. I w- I'm, I'm asking you today to be to be my deacon, to be my man of the greasy napkin as we as we tackle the sacred topic of of Gus's world famous fried chicken. Well, you said that you were going to be that you had never set foot in Memphis, and you have uh, hopefully uh, whether it is between the World Championship Barbecue uh, Championships or the uh, the FedEx St. Jude Golf Tournament, we'll be able to get you down here at some yes. point during the summer. Yes. That being That's said. Right. We have made it incredibly easy on you, House, because as I learned last week, um, Gus's has made it to Washington, D.C., to which I reached out and said, tell me you have been. Tell me you yeah. have been. 
<laughs> so, so this is the thing. I responded. You know, I don't take uh, a, an adventure like this lightly. I don't just walk in. I mean, it, you know, in a different stage of my life, I might have said, "Oh, Gus says, okay. Well, here's what I'll do. I've never tried it. I don't know anything about the tradition. I don't really care. I don't have the energy to do the research. I'm just going to walk in and order the whole menu, and see see what appeals to me." But that was back in a, another stage of my life where I might have been able to to handle it. And, you know, that's that doesn't really capture the essence of what Gus is wanting to deliver. So here I have you. You're gonna. You're my deacon. You're my man of the greasy napkin. Uh, I want in the first place, if you would, for all the taste buds, the hungry homies out there, listen to House of Carbs. Just describe to them uh, th- this this fried chicken. It's a spicy fried chicken, but not Nashville hot. No, it is not Nashville hot. So Gus's was a place. There was only it was like a little shack in Mason, Tennessee, which is about mm, forty five minutes outside of Memphis. And then they opened one downtown. Um, and once they and and now there's a few around the area. But once they opened one downtown, things went crazy because you know it was a trek. There were there was kind of like the. You know, hipster foodies knew that you could drive to Mason, Tennessee to hear about this amazing Gus's fried chicken. But once it moved into downtown Memphis, then everybody was there. And then all these celebrities started talking about it. You know, when they were filming uh, different movies here, whether it was, uh, you know, at one point Anthony Anderson was there all the time. At one point, Samuel L. Jackson, when they were filming a movie here, was there all the time. And so you would hear it started. Word started to get around about Gus's and it's not like your no I, I, I it's very hard to describe because it's not like super super spicy but certainly there is a a real kick to it and the thing is when it comes out of the fryer like you have never tasted chicken like this like it is cooked perfectly so you got this amazing recipe on the outside and then like the second you bite into it you are an absolute I've never had fried chicken like this and in fact Weirdly, though, you could talk to your long-term best buddy, Bill Simmons, who every time I listen to him now, he's talking about how he has to find healthy items and he's eating healthy. This is going to be very difficult on your relationship. Um, But Simmons, when I first met him in person, we had communicated over the years. But in, I think it was 13, 2013, the Grizzlies made the Western Conference Finals. And ABC brought the show here, of which he was on it. And that's how I met him and Jalen. And all they talked about was Gus's. All they talked yeah, about. Yeah, so this so you, that was my introduction to Gus's yes. was was through. And that's really to me, that's that's how I knew it was world famous. When Bill Simmons goes and cause he he um he talks a big game in terms of uh his his uh, appetite and his palate. Now he doesn't he doesn't claim to have anything uh, resembling mine. He's never uh, taken that crazy leap. But you know um, he he does he. There was a time in his life when he when he liked to eat. Uh, he he has had a little bit of that California influence. Has you know sort of you know taken a, a, it, its toll on the diversity of his palate. I'm very happy though. Uh, our our good pal, our East Coaster David Chang. Um, is out out in Los Angeles and opened up a restaurant uh, just in the last couple months. And Simmons is a, is is a huge fan there. And Chang is, uh, you know, he's a subversive. So he's feeding him stuff like short ribs and and French fries and stuff. And so you know, you I'm go. getting the, I'm getting Simmons fat again through that through that angle. But yeah, <laughs> you're absolutely right. 
Uh, I first heard about Gus's from from Jalen and, and Simmons and that trip, and I think Simmons wrote about it. He definitely was tweeting about it. Him and Jalen were talking about it. Um, one of the things about the chicken, you described the process a little bit. One of the things that that I've observed um, is supposed to make it, uh, you know, special uh, is is they use what's called a, a liquid batter. Are you familiar with this? The liquid batter? Yeah, in the sense that they apply. Uh, it's a mix of, of flour, water, hot sauce of some sort, and, and the spices. And I think the hot sauce and the spices are a, uh, a secret. But rather than, you know, sort of taking, you know, the traditional way of taking a fried chicken and dredging it in the spice and the egg and then putting it, you know, uh, in flour and then like, this is a, a, a kind of a wet batter and it, it sits for a little while. And the idea, it seems like to me, and this is why I got to talk to somebody to, to a, a legit, uh, oh yeah, like, uh, you know, it is it, it is prepared and you can see it before it goes yeah. down into the fryer. That's sure. what I'm at. That's oh, what yeah, I want to yeah. hear about. Okay, and how's it? I mean, how's it look before it goes in there? It looks like it's got batter on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's, it's it, it, I mean, it's nothing like you would you, you would you would look at it. It looks like it is uh, prepared chicken, right? That it yes. is. Okay. It is. It is sitting on what would be like a, you know, a steel plate and, and it looks like it is ready to be dropped down into a fryer and it's not in the fryer long. It's oh, not, okay. yeah, it's not in the fryer, um, extremely long. It's not something that like sits there for a long time. Um, so it's a little bit, a little bit longer than flash fried. It's not correct. flash fried chicken. It's not but, flash fried. Uh, but it's also so the, the, it does not take long. No, like from the time that you walk in and you order and see the best thing about it is like I would I would typically go in there. If I go in there, I'll go and get what uh, the three piece and you get two breasts and a wing. And then it comes yes. with and then it comes with baked beans. It comes with slaw and it comes with plain white bread. OK, well, yeah, sure. That's a tradition. That's a southern right. tradition. And that's it. Yeah. So that this is a, you you beat me to the punch. I was going to ask you the Verno order. That's the oh, Verno that's order. The, the the three piece white. Now, do you have your choice of sides, or did or are those the sides that you deploy? Oh, oh no 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 no. You can get sides. They have all they have all yeah, manner okay. of things. And they're all, and they're all good, right? Potato salad, coleslaw. They have like these uh, seasoned fries. They got mac I, and cheese. You I know, think and I saw obviously... some fried fried green tomatoes. Have you had those? Oh yeah, of course. Come on. Oh. <laughs> Fried, I'm sorry. What are you talking I'm about? sorry. I'm, I'm almost offended. Uh, fried green. Th- <laughs> they've also got fried pickles, which are great. Oh, okay. Yes. yes. Yeah, fried right. pickles. Right. Are they fried in the same uh, batter as the chicken? Does it? No, seem? no, 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 no. This is like you yeah, know, different. like your cornmeal type of stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah, that like, makes sense. Like your normal fried pickles or fried green tomatoes. I mean, I kind of like the idea of a hot pickle. I'm not going to lie. The idea of a little, <laughs> a little bit of spice to it, that uh, the bright, you know. Anyway, um, so what should I do? I'm going. I'm going to make my maiden voyage now that you and I are having this conversation. Oh, Tell this me, is so good. Should too, I have the Verno order? I'm so excited about this too because. Um, you know, it is not expanded. The, these franchises have just blown up over the course of the last couple of years. They were not anywhere else, and they have decided. And it took a long time before they franchised this out. They could have forever ago, but they have just franchised it out. And now, um, you know, for whoever is listening to us, there's one in Austin, Texas, Atlanta, Chicago, uh, Kansas City, and then there's a couple in uh, there's Los Angeles now. So Simmons can go I to Gus's, uh, Detroit, know. Fort Worth, Texas. 
Uh, wow. Sandy, Sandy Springs, Georgia. There's another one in Michigan. So they're starting to spread around the country. And I suppose the one you would be going to is Greenbelt College Park, Maryland, right? Yeah, so that's right. So I, I you know, I, I did catch the the fact that this had arrived over the, in College Park, and and I grew up uh, a Maryland Terrapin fan because okay. I grew up very close to the campus. My dad went to school there for a little bit. Uh, I was lucky enough to catch some of the era basketball wise with the Len Bias, R.I.P. and and some of those great uh, Maryland teams that great tradition. So I'm very familiar with College Park. I actually made a mental note to myself that I would go catch a Maryland game this season, a basketball game, and then head on over to Gus's afterwards uh, for the for the after party. And you know what happened? What? Maryland stinks at basketball this year. They're <laughs> <laughs> not any good. So I couldn't I couldn't were, I couldn't come up with the occasion to get over. I mean the Big Ten doesn't do it for me. I grew up with the ACC and, and Maryland's the team stunk, so I didn't get you over. You could have at least gone like you you just have to make it in those cases you have to make like an excuse like I'm gonna go watch uh, who Michigan State, right? I wanna go see You're Michigan right State that. play. You're right? absolutely right about that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm glad I, it worked out this way because here we are. You're giving me my my guidance, you're giving me my spiritual direction here <laughs> on the proper way to conquer this now you say don't order the verno do order the verno what should i do what's my order you know you get the three Three piece piece. yes two breasts and a wing and then obviously you're going to get more i i just pulled up the menu at greenbelt college park they not only have the fried pickles and the fried green tomatoes they offer fried okra oh hey now that's i love fried okra you got to try that because i don't even have that Oh, oh, well, then I'll be able to give you a report on it. That's right. I'll, you can uh, Gus's fried chicken. Uh, you can do the fried okra in uh, in college at the College Park. Gus's. How do, how about that? Yeah. You would get something that I don't even have. Well, I, I'm, I'll take a picture. Obviously, this is going to be no. And you got to uh, eat more know. than what that. You got to eat more than just the three piece. Well, too, here, right? here's you my order. Well I'm going to tell you my order. I'm doing three piece wing. I'm going to do your two breasts and, and a wing. I'm going to do three piece dark because I'm a huge dark meat guy. There That's always go. my preference. That's two thighs and a leg. That's six pieces of chicken right out of the box. And then <laughs> we're going to have fried pickles. We're going to have fried green tomatoes. We're going to obviously have fried okra. Uh, and then I see a whole jalapeno on here. Yeah, I'm gonna have that. Uh, I like this. I like the hot. Uh, and then what, what? A coleslaw to cool things off. Uh, yes, the coleslaw is great. And then, and then probably a Budweiser in a bag. Probably a go. cold Bud, a bottle of Bud in a bag. How far? How far are we talking from your house to get to this place? You're probably half hour, forty, thirty five minutes or so. Oh, that's not bad. No, it's reasonable, and okay. I can go from work. It's closer to to my work. I'm going to make this like a on the way home kind of adventure. Do you have anybody say, honey, that would honey, go I'm with I'm going you? to be late tonight. Do yeah, yeah. I, I have a couple. I have some trusted uh, uh, hungry homies, some trusted taste buds that I can bring with me. You <laughs> know, uh, we'll do the proper. We'll, we'll do it. Pro- probably walk in there and just order three, three or four chickens. To be honest with you, right? And then just have them chop it up and. Because I'm not, I'm going to be in there for a little while. We're not, we're not going to be in a hurry. It's not going to just be one Budweiser. It's not going to be a one Bud night, Chris Vernon. This is where great things come from, though. Like I told you, this was a little shack in Mason, Tennessee. Mason has no people. You know what I mean? Like there's, a, but it has chicken. A, yeah, that's right. It had this yeah. Gus's fried chicken, and when something like that can become world famous that originates in just a shack in Mason, Tennessee, then you know it's the real deal.
Exactly. It's a, it's a sacred thing. It's what we started in the first place with. That's Chris right. Vernon, thank you so much. So obviously we're going to connect again. I'm coming to Memphis either, you know, in the in the summer for the St. Jude Golf Tournament or maybe I'm coming down for the World Championship of Barbecue. I'm going to get down to Memphis. You and I are going to do a belly takeover of to. Memphis, Tennessee. It'll be my first step south with the yeah, belly takeovers. I, yeah, this is that's that's the that, that is that is it's wrong. We, we've only been going Six months. What can no, I the, tell you, Verno? No, the fact that you have not done the South and food in the South and homestyle cooking. Do you know how many places we could go? What? I mean, you would. And in fact, I don't even think honestly. Like, I mean, I mean, I could help you get the lawyer. You will not. You in terms of food and your love of food, you will never go back to the Northeast ever. Or <laughs> you'll just be changed forever. You'll be changed well, forever. <laughs> I'll accept the change. I'm ready. I, I'm ready to uh, kneel down at the altar <laughs> of the food south and and pay it homage. I've done a little bit of dabbling. I've been down to Charleston, uh, South Carolina. I've been North Carolina. I've done a little eating in Georgia. I've been to Atlanta, North uh, New Orleans. But I that's not the real South. We I no. need to come down to Memphis and do some of this real South barbecue and chicken. Chris Vernon, thank you, my hungry homie, for coming on the House of Carbs today. My man, hey, I want the full report on Gus's. Thanks, House. Uh, you're you're going to see it live. I'm going to put up on the on the Instagram and the Twitter <laughs> and all of it. Thank you, Verno. Perfect. Thanks, House. All right, you heard it there, folks. Verno on the line, helping us navigate Gus's world famous fried chicken. We're about to do some food news with Juliet Littman, as we always do. But first, it's almost baseball season. So let's check in with our good friends at Yahoo Fantasy Sports. Spring training is now in full swing. That means baseball season. And that also means time to start thinking about Yahoo Fantasy Baseball Drafts. Flex your skills as a real GM. Crush your league with the Yahoo fantasy app the yahoo fantasy app is the number one mobile app in fantasy baseball draft trade and manage your team right from your phone the new weekly scoring format makes it even easier to run your team all season just use the set active players feature to set your lineup that's in quotes set active players hit that set your lineup for the week in one tap Sign up now at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball. Create your own league. Join a public league. Don't miss out on baseball season. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball is the official fantasy game of Major League Baseball. All right, hungry homies. We have reached that moment. It is now time for food news. Juliet. Hey, hey, hey. What's happening? Not much, man. How are you? I'm great. So uh, I want to jump right in. We have a whole slate of stories. We have a story about your own personal eating adventure. You were in New York uh, a couple weeks ago. I always love to hear when you're abroad, your tales from abroad. But we have to start with uh, where we left off last week, which is you and Mallory and I um, were chatting about the Oscars yes. and what the menu might look like, where we might order from. Let's tell the hungry homies where you ended up. What was your order for the Oscars? Inspired by Mallory, my friend and I ordered in from John and Vinny's. Whoa. Yeah. That's, that's like legit. That's like... Uh, 
you know, first of all, you can't order from John and Vinny's, and that's not a $20 order. No. That's not a $30 order, right? <laughs> no, it that's... wasn't, my friend. <laughs> 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 so how many friends? Let's just get the size of the room Me uh, in terms of and one friend. It was a okay. Yeah, we just were hanging out, and great, great. Um, he's a real pizza enthusiast. So I was nice. like, let's just get John and Vinny's. We actually were going to get mozza, so I used caviar, of course, because caviar is our yeah. is, we love it. Our peeps, it's our, our peeps. peeps. And um, John and Vinny's wasn't available yet. It was like too early in the day. I like opened it up at four p.m. and I was like, what's our plan for the Oscars? Four hours long. We got to have the sustenance. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> open up the app, and I was like, oh, John Vinny isn't available, but let's do something special. Let's do Moza, um, which is, you know, like one of the popular, a popular Italian restaurant in LA. And so I was like committed to doing that, and I was like, okay. And he was like, we can't order it now. Like, we need to pace ourselves. Like, let's, let's really plan this out. So we had a first course of convenience store chips and salsa. Not your fanciest chips and salsa, but it gets the job done, and it's right gets across the, the street. Done. Yeah. That's it. There you go. It was great. And then I also had like a, like a, um, uh, hummus in the house that was really good. So we just, you know, we, that was that was course one, and that was good because it tied us over for. The, and then two hours later, we ordered in John and Vinny's, where we got the cacio pepe, which is now made with rigatoni instead oh. of bucatini. Oh my god, really good! I just love a John and Vinny's cacio pepe. We also ordered in the spicy fusilli alla vodka, which is like one of their signature dishes, and a margarita pizza. Oh, what a meal with ranch dressing, which is kind of controversial, yeah. but. I think it's just accepted in L.A. that you dip your, your crust in, in ranch. They don't do that in New York. That's not a thing that I grew up with. But out here, and like, in, it's like traveled from the Midwest, and people just do that. I think it's fine. I, I don't have any problem with it. It's not to my taste. But I love the idea of, of uh, you know, getting creative with elements of, of, of a dish, taking that, that delicious crust and, and uh, you know, savoring it in, in a new and exciting way. What, what I grew up with, my tradition at my home, would have been with a nice sauce because my mother uh, is Italian-American. Uh, she was Irish and Italian, but she had a real strong uh, Italian cooking palate. And there was always red sauce in my house. So if we had pizza, I would get a little bit of nice and little uh, uh, bowl full of the red sauce, heat it up because, you know, mom's sauce is available. And I just rip the crust off and dip it. So what we're really just talking about is the evolutionary, uh, you know, version of, of putting that great crust to, to, to excellent use. Yeah, exactly. And it was good. Uh, my only thing is they, they charge you $2 for the ranch dressing, which I just think is outrageous. What? Come on. Come on. Come on. Like maybe Come on, J and V. A dollar fifty, maybe, but a full two dollars? Like that's just ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's, no, that's no charge. Well, I know, let, just let made me, it free. Let me be fair though. Do they make it? Maybe they make it. How do you even make ranch dressing? That would be a good piece, actually. Or a good story for us on food news. It, 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 you know, it has it's like it's interesting. It's yeah. got some elements, it's got sure. some oil in it and some, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, that, 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 that sounds like a, a wild success, much more successful than the show itself. It was, you know? you know, it was really, it was really delicious and it traveled well and it just felt festive and that's what I was going for. So thanks to John and Vinny's, thanks to Caviar and, um, yeah, worked out well. Yeah. Much bigger success than the show. Yeah. Which was kind of no, snooze. No. Jimmy did a great I job, mean, but the show itself yeah, exactly. was just boring. They just, an hour needs to go away. Yeah. It does not need to approach anywhere near four hours it's I ridiculous also, give it's me... so self-important what do you why are we watching this i kept saying to myself 
I don't know. And I liked the trip to the movie theater because I was like, oh, something lively is happening. Something right. Something is Real actually happening. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. People. <laughs> exactly. There's people and they're good. And, and yeah, obviously there's hot dogs. So I was on board with that. Um, in any event, enough about the Oscars. So l- let me let's let's quickly touch on now. We have to confess to our culinary comrades. We had an outstanding cake discussion last week. We did. That um, was was uh, we'll just be polite about it. That was lost in translation. We had a tech issue. I, I you know um, somewhere or another. It it exists uh, only in the internet and in our um, minds as well. And 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 your belly. Yes. Um, most importantly, we it was preserved by way of photographic evidence. So yes. you took a beautiful picture of it. It is going to go up. But let's tell the hungry homies about this piece of cake. Please. Okay. I snuck home to New York City recently for a very quick and surreptitious trip just because I wanted to see my family. My mom was like trying to like get me to do stuff. And I was like, no, I just want to stay home. I just want to hang out. That's what I like to do almost all the time is stay home and hang out with various people like on Oscar night. And um, the one, one of the few times we left the house, we went to Maison Pickle, which is a restaurant on the Upper West Side near where my parents live for dinner. And it's like a glorified cheesecake factory, and I say that with all of the love in the world because I love the cheesecake factory. This is kind of like that, slightly more limited menu, equally huge portions, really delicious, crowd pleasers. Like you just can't go wrong. Like take everyone there; they'll, they'll like it. If you're on the Upper West Side or looking for a restaurant there, so I had, um, I believe it was a shrimp and chicken francaise, which was really good, like just mm. really like succulent, so good. Uh, yeah, shred, chicken and shrimp, absolutely delicious. But the highlight of the meal that I will never forget was a 24-layer salted vanilla layer cake. And it was, I think, the best cake I've ever had, maybe. It tasted yeah. like what all wedding cakes should be. It was um, dense and moist, but not too heavy. Like, one of my problems with a chocolate layer cake or a flourless chocolate cake is it's too heavy. Like, there's a density to it that just weighs me down. I can't get through it. This was a lot lighter than that, but even with the 12 layers, 12 layers of buttercream and 12 layers of cake, the structural the, the structural integrity of the cake was astounding. You could take a clean slice and it didn't all fall apart, which I was shocked by, and it was just so good and just huge. Abs- absolutely and, loved it. As you ate it, did it did it keep that structural integrity? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, Some oh of the layers, God. like a few layers, would break off, and they would, but they would stay sure. together. It was so you could yeah. still have like several layers at a time, and it was so huge we couldn't finish it. And my mom was like, "Well, that was a great cake," and I was like, "What are you talking about? We're taking this home and freezing it." And <laughs> I demand that is, that's a that's a Litman tradition. Oh yeah, I de- my mom has like so many baked goods in the in her freezer. Um, I demanded that we bring it home, and when we got home, I started slicing it up into like kind of snack size bites so that one could just go and grab a little pouch of cake whenever they needed a, a sugar fix. And See, this is I was eager to pro style. I was eager to test out how it uh held up. So the next morning, Sunday morning, I went directly to the freezer and immediately had cake upon waking up. And you wanna know what? It froze great. It didn't even need oh. to be defrosted. It was just ready for eating. The buttercream really held together well in the cold temperature. It was the best cake. Go to Maison Pickle and have the cake. It sounds like, you know, you're you're inspiring me. The fact that it can be frozen that way means that it can travel. Oh, yeah. I feel like I need to call a hungry homie, one of my pals in New York City, get to the pickle, get daddy that cake, throw it in a in a FedEx box with some ice on it, and get it down here to the DMV. Yeah. I I might I mean that's pretty extravagant, but 
It might be worth a house. It. It's the best I, cake I I've ever had. It. I know this is the thing, and wait till wait till the the taste buds see this picture. It's an incredible picture of cake. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. Well, on that note, we we're on a we're on a very very high note right now. Yeah, are there any high note stories we can talk about? Well, I have one more piece of personal news I wanted to share with you, and this will lead oh, into food news. This is a surprising yes. piece of of of. of uh, personal food development. Yes, I exactly. I was waiting for the Bachelor finale to air live in Los Angeles and I had some time. So last night I went to Chipotle for dinner. I hadn't been to Chipotle in a while, but I was like, you know, what? I just really want a great veggie bowl from there. So I went and I had forgotten, but then the signs reminded me they serve queso now. So for the first time I had Chipotle queso, something we've discussed several times on this podcast. You know, I'm not going to ask you. I want to first sort of put on the table the fact that there's, the case has been met with a lot of skepticism, yes. right? There's, it's been a mixed bag. Now, you just – you gave us you, – you, you, you had a live and in-person experience with it. Let's hear the Littman take. I'm going to give it a B-. minus. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? That's that's kind of consistent with where, the grade that it's gotten across these great United States of ours. Here's the problem with it. I think Americans, for better or for worse, expect queso to have the texture of Velveeta cheese. I don't know if that's appropriate, but that's kind of what we come to expect. And if it's not going to be Velveeta-like, it should be like a little bit more stringy, like more of like a, a cheese soup. And this was a little bit too—the texture was not right. I think it was just not mm. what people expect— it tasted the taste itself was good, a little spicy, um, but it ha- it was sort of like a, a grainy texture. I just didn't care for it. So I, it has to be the case because you and I have have both um, sung the praises of Chili's queso. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, and it, and it served perfectly. What advantage does Chili's have in terms of the queso that they serve? Uh, and their and their setup that makes it you know easy for them to deliver top notch queso across these great United States of ours with high consistency and Chipotle can't yet quite get it. Chipotle, to their credit, is so particular about the ingredients they use that I think that hurts it. Like, I think there's like some items uh, that don't pass their test, even though they I see. have had other So issues. if we knew what was in the Chili's queso, yes. we might not think so quite as highly of it. Yeah. And <laughs> and you want to know what? That's okay. I eat plenty of processed food, as do most Americans. <laughs> it's, it's a great point. <laughs> anyway, huh. I just well, wanted I'm, to tell you about that. I'm excited that you tried it. You know, uh, we were singing the, the, the praises of the former CEO of Taco Bell because we were saying we, we were buttering him up to have him on the show. And now he's the CEO of, of Chipotle. So maybe the right thing to do this is, is talk Brian to him about Nichols. this. Yeah, well, this, this may come up with a couple of suggestions on how to improve the queso. I just want to be clear. I love Chipotle. I know they've fallen on hard times, but the um, it's just a really reliable meal. Like I, re- unless you get sick, but I never have. I really like it there. Yeah, I'm not, I, it's it's a staple in my house. Same. My my wife orders two burritos at a time. Really, it's the exact same burrito. She is uh, it, at least once a week. It's a it's a two burrito because she'll have one in a sitting or maybe like half of one at one point, half of one a little later, and then the next one, you know, kind of the next day. Um, and it's always the exact same burrito. Uh, white rice, black beans, cheese, extra cheese, please, and hot sauce. Oh. The hottest, you know, the hottest of the hot sauce. Sure. I go for the salad. Oh, it's a chicken burrito, by the way. It's chicken. I go salad and I usually go double veggie. Salad, a little bit of brown rice, double veggie, pinto beans. It's not because I don't want the meat. I just love the veggies there for some reason. And then guac, obviously. And yeah. then like all the salsas. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's love it. wonderful. Yeah. That's love great. it. Okay. 
On to real food news. Are you ready? I'm, I'm, I can't wait. This is a follow-up from a previous pod, much like the queso. Our good friends, the Infatuation, are acquiring Zagat's from Google. So in the latest round, this is from Food & Wine, this news report. In the latest round of food media news that no one really saw coming, New York-based restaurant guy, the Infatuation, announced today that is buying Zagat from Google, who has owned the legacy restaurant guy for the last seven years. Zagat's been around since 1979, and then Google purchased it for $151 million in 2011. The infatuation, as we know from our friends Andrew Steinthal and Chris Stang, previous uh, guests, started a few years ago in New York, and it's been growing ever since. And they said through the acquisition, Zagat's product offerings will be expanded internationally to connect with communities abroad using the infatuation social capital. And the press release states that they'll be introducing Zagat to a more millennial audience. I think this is awesome news, and I'm really excited for our infatuation friends. Yeah, I think it's super smart of those guys. Um, and I'm going to, having heard this kind of for the first time today, I'm still processing it. Uh, I will say that I go to the infatuation and Zagat's for different things altogether. Um, and I, I'm just trying, because infatuation is is a place where it's so easy for me to go down a review rabbit hole. Like once I'm once I'm on, I've gone through the effort of of jumping in uh, on a particular city. I want to like you know refresh, even if it's just DC. I like to see what they're saying. Their reviewers are saying about the DC restaurants that I've eaten at, and so it's a very I, I'm just down a hole with infatuation, which is it's a very enjoyable hole. Let there be no doubt. Sure, Zagat's Zagat's is a. Very quick hitter for me. It's yeah. a super quick. Yeah, I it's can, like give me the score scan. and I'll move on. Exactly. And, you, and I can get a ton of information at a glance or two glances. Um, I, the one thing I do like about Zagat's, and, I, and maybe Infatuation has been doing this and I haven't caught up on it, um, Zagat's is, does great lists. Yes. Uh, I think they do an excellent job of picking um, eight to ten places that are like, you know, the 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 best Peruvian chicken at the moment uh, in, in D.C. I don't think I don't know whether they've done that or not. But uh, and they're very quick hitters. Right. They just get in and out. They, they show you a few around the area. And, that, and I, I think they're 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 smart with the lists. Um, so I think the, the potential for this is, is is kind of incredible. Yeah. Good. Good. Good job, infatuation, yeah, guys. It makes sense. They're just conquering they're conquering the restaurant listings world. It's very cool to see. Good luck to them. We wish you well and we're happy for you. Yeah. Um, next. This is a totally different vein, but this is wild. This is a story from the Indie Star in Indiana. Uh-huh. Sunday, March 4th, the Oscars Day, ushered in the new reality that allows grocery stores, package liquor, drug and convenience stores to sell alcohol between the hours of noon and eight on Sundays. The milestone was still setting in for Hoosiers, those people of Indiana, who figured the state's ban on such sales would be as tied to the state's legacy as breaded tenderloins are. So just to be clear, House, for the very first time since the 1920s, on March 4th, 2018, Indiana allowed the sale of alcohol on Sundays. Uh, this is I, some straight up Midwest shit. I like forgot yeah, this right. happens in some places. I went to college yeah. in Evanston, Illinois, which was the home of the women's temperance movement. So I'm like very familiar with like the legacy of, of uh, temperance. But this in prohibition, this is actually crazy. <laughs> what I'm trying to think. So when I went to school in Massachusetts uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, you couldn't buy alcohol in the Commonwealth on on Sundays either. Yes, that's why everyone went as, to New Hampshire. 
as college kids, well, that's you had plenty of options. As you you beat me to it, as enterprising college kids, that was never an impediment to us <laughs> having our Sunday fun. In the first place, it just meant we or we didn't buy, uh, you know, three cases. We bought six cases on right. on 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 Saturday. And you know, if we really weren't going to be doing house drinking, you could always go to the bar. The bars weren't closed. Were yeah, they? No. The bars closed on Sunday. I don't think so. I don't think so either. I don't. I recall going to the bars on Sunday. Now this is, you know, I'm old, so I might have forgot. So the, I, the, for for years and years and years, the tailgating for the Colts games have 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 basically consisted of pre buying the alcohol. Yes, absolutely, going to Costco the day before, the evening before. Yeah. Yes, I lived I, in Evan, Evanston, where I went to college, was a dry town for like a long time. So there were these bars, right, like right over in the, and it's on it shares a border of Chicago. So a very popular bar that everyone liked to go to, the Mark II Lounge, more lovingly known as the Deuce, was where Pete was right on the Chicago side of the border. So people would go there because they could like drink whenever when when, when it was like it was a legacy institution from when Evanston was dry. But I, it, this is just very Midwestern to me. I just think it's, it's funny. very. It's, 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 it's hard to believe. Yeah. It's hard to believe in 2018 that there are still states. I, I'll, we'll have to take a look. I might do a Google search to see what other states still I know. Uh, hold in, on to this. In California, you can so widely buy alcohol that when I go home to New York and like um, grocery stores don't sell liquor or wine, I'm like confused. And it's like, <laughs> I'm just like, wait, what? Because <laughs> you can yeah. just get it everywhere here. Like, it's so silly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the word for it. It's just silly at this point. Yeah. I mean, what you're really doing is working off these old backroom deals, you know, these backroom arrangements that have been brokered between the industry and, and the, the distributors and the state legislatures, right? I mean, yeah. I, that would be a great story. Somebody with real in, in, in journalistic chops, investigative journalism chops. Um, should do a funny story making fun of this anachronistic, uh, ridiculous practice. I agree. I completely agree. Um, it wouldn't be a food news if we didn't take a trip across the pond. So let me please share a story with you that comes to us from the United Kingdom. Uh, Is it a weird story? Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> I mean, all of our weirdest stories come from across the pond. Um, are you aware of the snowstorm that hit the UK last week? Yes, it was incredible. I loved it. I mean, obviously, I'm a golf nerd, yeah. so oh, right. I was seeing pictures of the golf courses covered in snow. Such a cool thing. Um, well, this is a story about baked goods. Snow and ice brought by Storm Emma and the Beast from the East meant that driving conditions were slow and dangerous in places. And by the way, this story comes from the Metro UK. Motors, motorists that were trapped on the A1 uh, highway in Northumberland were treated to cakes, donuts, and other baked goods by a Greg's lorry driver, a truck driver, called John, who through the queue of traffic needed a little pick-me-up. He unloaded the treats from the back of the truck and shared them with motorists who had been parked up for hours and much to their relief. He told iHeartRadio, I've been here since about nine and I hadn't moved an inch. I've been giving out whatever I had in the back, biscuits and donuts. I didn't expect to be waking up uh, I didn't expect to be walking up the A1 giving it out. Although he handed out the goods for free, Greg's praised John for his quick thinking and kindness. Um, <laughs> it's great when your employer, uh, you know, really appreciates you. They said of him, we are incredibly proud of John and his act of kindness and what must have been a very tough situation for him and all the other people stuck on the A1 in this cold weather. We hope that his kind gesture is able to help make everyone's day a little bit better. Well done, John. Um, house. As a resident of the DMV, I'm sure you're very familiar with people freaking out, like over, uh, overreacting to snow. And that's kind of what I think is happening here. 
Well, there, that's definitely an element of it. And and here in, in, in D.C., I can assure you uh, two things. One, people have gotten stuck in like the last half decade for hours and hours and hours on on the, the highways and byways here because of unexpected precipitation that included some icing. And as soon as ice touches any street at all, anywhere near here, every single car that's on the street immediately stops and that's it. And you're stuck until until really the next morning when it thaws. But the thing that I can tell you for sure, I have I don't think there are many Johns. I can't think of a single instance where where a, a, a guy would have thought of had the, the 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 kindness in his heart to be thinking about all those poor people stuck around him who might be hungry. And the, here in D.C., these things tend to occur in the evening, which is just brutal. You're trying to get home, you know, stuck to on your the beltway, or or three ninety five for six hours. Um, but I, you know, I, 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 I really uh, applaud John, and I applaud John's employer for recognizing the, the the great opportunity John created for them to give themselves some free publicity yes. for their delicious baked goods. Absolutely, I commend them. I commend them very much. Um, and house, that's all I've got for you. Oh, that's plenty. Uh, <laughs> I, I the, the 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 cake alone I, is is going to be the takeaway from this week's food news. I'm I'm just maison pickle. The, Check it out. The, the the wheels are still turning on how I can get somebody to send me one of those down here, freeze you know, in, in a freezer pack. I'm going to tweet at them. Tell them how much I love their cake. <laughs> that, that's the right thing to do, Juliet. Thank you so much as always. <laughs> thank you, House. I will talk to you soon. I can't wait. There we go, Hungry Homies, another House of Carbs in the books. Thanks for the listen. Hit us, please, with your continued belly sourcing on our Instagram, at the House of Carbs. Coming up next week, a special March Madness-focused show. We may or may not have brackets, but we're definitely going to be talking to the chief and special guest, Mark Titus, we're going to come on and give us a little bit of instruction and guidance on the correct way to conquer the menu on those first couple days of wall-to-wall basketball. Until then, let's stay hungry out there. <laughs> <laughs>